This is Famous Lost Words. I'm Tom Jokic. Today, Christopher and I continue with our deep dive into the FLW archives to present a series of specials to honor some of the latest inductees into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. This time around, it's Duran Duran. Our first set of clips come from the early 80s, as the guys are just on the cusp of their incredible rise to fame. They talk about their influences, their style, and how much fun it was to make those incredible early videos. Then we jump ahead to 2021 with Marilyn Dennis in conversation with Nick Rhodes. The audio comes from Marilyn's podcast called Marilyn Dennis Does a Podcast, and you can hear the entire interview on that episode. We've chosen some great highlights from that chat, including Nick's look back at the Duran Duran legacy, the friendship and bond within the group, getting banned by MTV, and becoming friends with their greatest influence, David Bowie. Let's get started as we honor Rock and Roll Hall of Famer's Duran Duran. Well, Tom, when the Fab Five hit Much Music in 1984, true pandemonium ensued in the street outside the studio. Now, video had been very good to Duran Duran, and they knew exactly how to work that young audience of theirs. They also had hit songs, and they gave great interviews. Often, water pistols and cake were involved. (laughs) Now, the initial Duran Duran explosion didn't last, of course. It never does. But they went on to have an unexpectedly long run for a group that was initially dismissed as a band of the moment. They sold over 100 million records. The Bangles, Bare Naked Ladies, Beck, Gwen Stefani, and Justin Timberlake have all said they are fans of Duran. Now, this series of interviews, not dated, are with various band members and likely are from about 1982 around the release of Rio, their second album. This record struggled initially, but helped by club play and, of course, those very stylish videos, it finally broke through. It went on, like the first album, to sell double platinum in Canada. The interviewer here asks about, of course, the origin of the band name. May I ask where the name Duran Duran comes from? Yeah, it's from a 60s science fiction film uh, in Britain called Barbarella. Oh, yes. Starring Jane Fonda and Myla O'Shea. And Myla O'Shea was a character called, uh, called Duran Duran in the film. Okay, so there you go. The name of the band came from the movie Barbarella. I do find it a little bit funny that they were so new to us that the announcer said, so where does the name Duran Duran come from? Like, I found that <laughs> quite funny. Sorry, I got distracted thinking about the opening of Barbarella. <laughs> so what else do we have from Duran Duran? Well, Nick says that early on they were concerned with their longevity. When you get tied to one trend, you, you, you tend to die when that trend dies, and we have no intention of doing that sort of thing, really. I think uh, bands that have been roped in with trends in the past, well, like the Beatles, who were roped in with the Mersey Beat thing, like like the Clash were roped in with the punk thing, that, uh, the better bands of the trends mm-hmm. tend to rise to the top, but all the same, we'd rather not be bagged in with these. You know, this is a common theme, Christopher. So many bands around this era tried to distance themselves from the new wave or punk label, and Duran was saddled with the new romantic tag as well. He also points out that the band was fashionable, but not to the exclusion of more important things. It was around the time that we were coming out being a fashionable band. Um, A few other fashionable bands were coming out too. And they thought, right, we'll put this lot together. And of course, we got put in with Spandau Ballet and Visage. We're a long, long way away from them musically. 
uh, fashionably in the first place. We were a fashionable band, and we still are, mm -hmm. but we put our music before our fashion, which is something I know Spandau Ballet don't really do. Okay, so this is a completely different interview, I believe with John Taylor and Simon Laban. Don't sue me if we're wrong. <laughs> um, and they talked about Hungry Like the Wolf. Um, Hungry Like the Wolf. I think it's probably about... Uh, on, on the lookout for women, I think that one, uh, it was a track that was sort of written in the studio one right. afternoon, written very quickly, and uh, we did a video for it in Sri Lanka. Um, we do get about for our videos. Yeah, actually. you really We've just do. been to Antigua actually doing one Really? <laughs> now listen, if <laughs> you need any it. help, you know. Okay, yeah, yeah, any direction. <laughs> um, no, the, we did three in Sri Lanka, and we did two in... Uh, Antigua, and it's all going to be part of a video album, which we expect to be out in November. But obviously, we want to sell to TV as yeah. well as make commercially available. It's very exciting. It's uh, good fun to do. This was a great era for them. You can tell how excited they are about how much they traveled for their videos. Like even they can't believe it. Yeah, they went to some pretty exotic locales for mm -hmm. those videos. Mm -hmm. And they were very watchable as a result. Um, the origins of the band, Tom, go back to Birmingham, England. The Duran lineup as it is now has been together just over two years. But like before that, me and Nick had been sort of banging our heads against the wall for like two and a half years previous to that. Mm. And um, it, just, it just happened to click one day. We went to this um, club in Birmingham to do a gig basically we wanted to get away from the regular gig scene and we, want, we went to this sort of fairly upmarket chic club to try and get a gig there <laughs> and uh, it, it turned out that the, the guys who owned the place were interested in getting into group management and they heard the tapes and they'd sort of thought this is exactly what we wanted to get involved in and like it's been downhill ever since really. <laughs> oh i love how self-deprecating they are within a few months they would become this pop idol phenomenon and at this moment they have no idea how much their lives are about to change and i love that they call themselves a dance band well, i think people have always wanted to dance haven't they i mean that's what the, that's what the beatles were when they started they were a ritual dance band so the rolling stones so was all the, the huge disco upsurgence in the late 70s, and I think it's just carried on. People like going out to dance, but they don't necessarily want to listen to music which hasn't got any, any sort of anything more than a beat to it. So that's where we come in, because we, we play music that you can dance to, you can also listen to, because it's got a little bit more to it. So here they talk about the importance of being a live performance act. We had to play live. We had to. We had to prove ourselves to people that we could do it in the flesh and we weren't just a sort of um, a product of the studio and um, that's been to our advantage now. I mean, it's more honest really because you're standing up there on stage without any marketing techniques, without any um, image in between you and the people. You have to, you have to, you appear as yourself, what you really are and they can touch you, they can see you, they're that close to you and if you look like a fool then they're going to know it. From 1982, that's Rio by Duran Duran. In these clips from her podcast and TV show, Marilyn Dennis talks to Nick Rhodes of the band and, as usual, covers so many fascinating aspects of their success, from favorite songs to fashion to what keeps them together after all these years. Nick starts by talking about a milestone they never thought of reaching. 15th studio album. Now, what do you make of that? Uh, it's it's a lot of records because they do take quite a quite a while to make. Um, I'm I'm very proud of them. Uh, look, I, I think when we started out, we didn't think further than a month or two ahead at the most. 
And so to be here four decades later, still being able to do the things that we all like, still being able to make contemporary music together, uh, still having an audience that have been incredibly loyal to us um, and they're the ones that have kept us around, uh, we're, we're very grateful. And um, we always just try to put out the best stuff we possibly can. And you always do. And we, you know, I want to tell you, while we were waiting to talk to you, Nick, we were listening to some great Duran Duran tunes. And I went, oh, that's my favorite. No, no, well, that's my favorite. No, no, that's my favorite. Do you have a favorite, which I know is hard to choose? Um, well, we do have quite a lot of favorites. I'm glad you have more than one favorite, too. But it, it varies from night to night. You know, there are some songs that when you play them live... Um, you can't help but smile because you see the reaction that the audience have and you realize that it's lifting people's spirits. And so I'm fond of those songs for that reason. Um, and then, of course, it's all the new songs because whatever you've just done is fresh and exciting and, and we can't wait to get out and actually play those live. Oh, I love how excited a band gets about their new material. All right, Tom, let's talk about Boys on Film. <laughs> Nick discusses video making. <laughs> okay, so many firsts with the band, okay? You're one of the first bands to shoot your videos on film. Yes, our very first video, Planet Earth, was actually made on video, but uh, we quickly graduated to film, and we were at 35 millimeter before you could click your fingers. Uh, <laughs> at that time, uh, everybody wanted to make the best-looking things you possibly could, and there were budgets available too. Um, of course, we were probably still paying the bills for those budgets, but, um, but it was fun to make them, and it was an open book then. You could really do whatever you wanted with video because the first time we went to Sri Lanka to make the videos for some of the Rio album, yeah. no one had ever really been on location like that before and, and right. made music videos. So it seemed incredibly new and innovative. It was actually just a, quite a simple idea. Uh, first group to have a video banned by MTV, Girls on Film. That's a first. <laughs> Yes, I, I think um, <laughs> we knew that one was probably not going to be played everywhere. Uh, it was originally made for those sort of nightclubs in the 1980s that uh, yeah. they were sort of dance clubs and they had video screens above the dance floor. And we liked the idea of them being able to play our 12-inch record and to sync it to the video. Uh -huh. And so we allowed ourselves to make slightly more explicit content than um, <laughs> would have ever been shown on MTV. That's true. That's true. You are the first Bond theme that went to number one. Well, that's one we're very proud of. And, and um, strangely, we, I think we still hold the record for the Bond theme uh, in America and the UK and, and, and around the rest of the world. Canada, of course. Oh, yeah, and Canada has always been a great home for Duran Duran. They hit here even before they hit the American market. This is Famous Lost Words. I'm Tom Jokic with Christopher Ward. More with Duran Duran coming up, including the immense influence of David Bowie. Welcome back to Famous Lost Words. I'm Tom Jokic with Christopher Ward. As we continue with our segment about Duran Duran, Christopher, let's keep going. All right, here's something that's uh, after my own heart. The joy of hearing yourself on the radio. 
uh, I have to go back in, in time with you, Nick. Where were you when you first heard a Duran Duran song on the radio? We were in London. Okay. Um, we, were making, we were finishing our first album, and the song Planet Earth, that was our first single, was played on Radio 1 for the first time. It was like a very strange dream for us because I was, I think at the time I was 18 and uh, we, we'd been watching Top of the Pops and listening to Radio 1 as kids and being big fans of a lot of other artists, uh, people like David Bowie and Roxy Music and uh, Sparks and a lot of uh, dance music, um, Giorgio Moroder, Donna oh, Summers, yeah. I Feel Love. Yeah. And suddenly we were on the radio being played alongside these things. Uh, that moment will, I think, stick with all the band members forever. You, you, it, it's, it's something so special that, that you, of course, you're going to remember. You know, Christopher, over the years, I've witnessed a number of artists listening to their new song on the radio for the first time. And it, honestly, it doesn't matter if they are new to the game or a veteran. They still get a real thrill hearing it. It's, it's very... It's really illuminating, and it brings out kind of their childlike excitement. Yeah. And you realize that they never get tired of hearing it for the first time. I think you're absolutely right, because it kind of confirms a connection with your audience. And it makes it real in yeah. a tangible, in a really tangible way. Uh, that's, you know, this kind of just in your, in your dreams until then. Yeah. Here, Marilyn asks about the look of the band. The fashion and the, uh, the, the overall look. It was that driven by you uh, because you were always so well put together, Nick. And so, you know, there's that extra thing that you have. Would you say that? Because you're kind of called the controller a little bit. Tell me. <laughs> me to say. But, but it's, uh, of course, I care about um, aesthetics generally. Uh, when, when we formed the band, we, we'd come up through the 1970s where... You had artists like David Bowie and Roxy Music yeah. who, who were very image conscious. But then we also had punk rock, which was um, an amazingly stylish movement. I think a lot of people think it was anti-style. But in fact, at the very head of it were Vivian Westwood, the designer, and her partner, yeah. um, Malcolm McLaren at the yes. time, who managed the Sex Pistols. And really everything about it was new and stylish. And so I, I think that those things were deeply ingrained in the band and we were just never going to be the kind of artist that would go on stage wearing jeans and, and a T-shirt. Um, so, yes, we, we, we really care about the details with, with, with everything, with the artwork, um, the typefaces on the record, the, the live performance and the presentation of the show, um, obviously the clothes, the videos, uh, that's what Duran Duran's about. It starts with the music and then we can build everything else. Because my next question was, what has driven the band all these years? What is it that connects all of you together? Well, at the center of all of it is the music. The, yeah. There's no question. Uh, we're all big music fans and we love to create things together. So when we get into a studio... Um, and we plug in that electricity that we create. Uh, we've stuck together and, and we, we know the strength we have as a unit. Uh, also friendship, 
respect um, and curiosity. If you have to keep your curiosity if you're making things, I think you... We, we always want to stay contemporary. I've got no real interest in starting to sound older. Um, right. that's, that's just us. Other artists pick a sound and they stick with it. Great description of both the style and anti-style of the punk and new wave movement and the evolving sound of Duran Duran. So just when it looked like their heyday was over in the 80s, They came back with a number of hits in the 90s, like Come Undone and Ordinary World. Really good songs that kind of brought them back and really helped to establish a much longer term career than I think a lot of people, maybe including them, expected. Yeah, yeah, good point. And I think also Nick Rhodes made a really interesting point when he talked about the stylishness of the punk era, because it's thought of as being anti-style or no style. But in fact, as he puts it, it's absolutely driven by look as well as the content of the music, obviously. Yeah. Tom, continuing on with Marilyn's conversation with Nick Rhodes, he tells her about what inspired him. I love when younger people come into your world and say how much they love the music uh, that you made, like Mark Ronson. And you work with him on this album, do you not? Uh, we did work with Mark. Mark's just one track on this album we wrote and uh, recorded with him uh, he played guitar on it, actually. He said wow. it's the most beautiful guitar part he's ever played on a record. Uh, Mark is an, an extraordinary artist, producer. He's got great taste, great style, but he really just knows how to zero in. It, it's all about editing for me, um, music and production. You've got to know when to make those decisions and, and when to choose the right vocal and when to play the right melody and when to step out and leave the space in the music. And and Mark is exceptionally good at that. And such a big fan too. Yeah. With us, when he first worked with us some 10, 15 years ago now, uh, we were all astounded that he knew everything about all of our tracks, even the more obscure things, things that were on B-sides of 12-inch records. He said, oh, can we do something that's more like that? And we were all thinking, wait a minute, how did that go? Can you just play it to us for a minute? <laughs> and him being right. such a big fan, you and your, you know, like you said, start out at 18, big fans of Bowie, Roxy Music. Were you able to share time with David Bowie, uh, you know, with Brian Eno? Were, and, and were you kind of in the back of your mind going, oh, I cannot believe I'm speaking with these people? What was that like for you? Well, uh, When I was 14, 15 years old, I had a a poster of David Bowie on my wall and I had all the records and um, it was incredibly inspirational and um, and important to me. By the time I was 19, David was one of my friends. So yes, it was without doubt a very strange transition, but we were in a uh, a very different world. We'd suddenly got catapulted from being kids who lived in a sort of housing, middle-class housing estate in in um, in Hollywood, Birmingham, to right. uh, hanging out with David Bowie and Andy Warhol. Uh, it was it was it was quite a big change, <laughs> but but actually it was also. Um, enormously uplifting, 
and um, inspirational, of course, because these people had done so many things that, that we loved. Mm-hmm. And, and to understand a little bit more about them and, and how they'd made these things happen, uh, it, was, it was really great. And both of those people in particular gave us um, fantastic advice. They, they, were, they were nurturing and, uh, and, and helpful. Do you uh, mind sharing what some of that advice was, Nick? Uh, Sure. Well, for example, um, Andy Warhol would always say, uh, well, make sure you stick together. Make sure you you keep the name. Make sure that nobody interferes with what you're doing. Make sure that uh, you get as much press as possible. Uh, You don't have to read it. Just weigh it, Um, which always stuck with me. Yeah. and David, um, uh, we knew for a number of years. And, of course, as an artist, um, I think he, he was the greatest of his generation. He, mm-hmm. he pretty much owned the 1970s musically. And, and so whatever he said about music we were doing or what we were playing or encouraged us or made suggestions about producers or musicians that was always great uh, he'd work with Nile Rogers um, around the mm. same time as we first worked with him 83 84 right. uh, he'd done the album let's dance for David and uh, and he'd had such a good time on that he was the one that was saying you really must do your next album with Nile don't just do a couple of tracks do a whole album so we did do the notorious album with with Nile That was such a great song. Um, and Niall, in that documentary, uh, you know, he loves working with you. And it's so great to see that kind of uh, connection with everybody. It was so great to talk to you today. I'm such an honor to meet you. And we are really wanting to come to Canada to go on tour. I don't think anyone's going to sit down while Duran Duran is on stage. Well, that's okay. We'll save the seats. Um, yeah, we, we, we're going there as soon as we can. Uh, yeah. uh, Canada's always been um, a very important part of Duran Duran's uh, touring life, and, and we love the country, and so yeah. as soon as we can be there, we'll be there. Great stuff about the influence of David Bowie on Duran Duran and the influence of Duran Duran on Mark Ronson and how Mark used that influence to help Duran Duran later. That's wild. Special thanks to Marilyn Dennis and her podcast, which is simply called Marilyn Dennis Does a Podcast, and the Marilyn Dennis Show on CTV. It was fun to help out a little bit on that interview, and we really appreciate Marilyn and her gang being so generous with that audio. (laughs) 